you can't say Mitsubishi. 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 Yeah. Is it really Mitsubishi? Yeah. Well, look at how it's spelt, bro. Mitch. Mitch. I like Mitsubishi. Yeah. Welcome to Production Brief, a podcast about advertising production. With me is Brendan Lee. Hello. And my name is Mark Welker. Hey, what was your first car? <laughs> Uh, my first car was a 67 LC Tirana. Oh, wow. Canary yellow. Uh, stock is a rock engine, but it looked tough. Did you buy it yourself? I did. Uh, Dad pitched in a bit. I think yeah. I had a rule like every dollar over $1,000 he'd match me. I think the car was about 1300 from memory. Oh, right. Yeah, I should have kept it. I'd, I, I would have a lot of money now if I kept it and sold it. It's funny, you don't really see many Tiranas these days. And when you do see them, they're in mint condition. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know, can you drive a Tirana now yeah. of that age yeah. in, unless you've got club plates? Well, it's, uh, it takes leaded petrol, so I don't know what the go is with that. I think yeah. you do have to put some additive or something. But I, how did we start talking about cars? Uh, <laughs> Isn't well, this a production uh, <laughs> podcast? Uh, well, today's topic is cars we're going to co- talk about car commercials yeah. um but i just thought i'd try a few things on you so mm-hmm. i, I want to know how much of a car kind of guy you really are <laughs> okay so i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna play you some sounds and we'll see how you sort of feel about them you sort of does that sort of do anything for you that mm, sound of a not really. engine no. what about this one Oh, that's, Indy, that's, Indy cars, that, Formula One. That sounds kind of interesting, interesting. to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about actually this one? It's quite close to your heart. I, I think that's is that is that my motorbike sound? That is. That's a Triumph. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you're a motorbike person. <laughs> well, I've got a motorbike. I don't. I don't know that I'd call myself a motorbike person, but I've, I've certainly got a motorbike. Now, I don't really see myself as a car guy either. Mm. I, I've. I mean, I've I've only purchased a few cars in my life, and usually they've been compromising purchases. Mm. You know, like uh, compromised purchases, I should say. Right? <laughs> compromised. <laughs> I haven't bought any cars uh, that were compromising, <laughs> um, but there've always been purchases about a going A to B. But yeah. I did ness, um, quite recently buy a new car, and mm. so I went through the um, the process mm. of watching a lot of car commercials. Ah, there you go. Yeah, and I thought, how do these work? What a lovely segue in yeah. today's episode. Isn't it? It's so soft, you <laughs> barely even know that I segue. <laughs> so, Mark Toya is who we've got on today, if you know that name, listeners. So, Mark Toya is a DP, director, uh, he's an editor, he's a producer, feature film producer. Yeah. yeah, He's a bit of everything. He's been around for a long time. Special he's, effects, I think he's dabbled a yeah. bit in VFX as well. Yeah, he does a bit of VFX, but over the last 20 years, he's become a sought-after director and DP for some of the world's biggest ads. Mm-hmm. Mark's list of car commercial credits include Jeep, Honda, Hyundai, Mazda, Holden, Mitsubishi, Ford, Yamaha, along with a lot of big brands like Coke, Budweiser, Tourism Australia and Back in China, pretty much everyone Mm. on the big list. Yeah, yeah, massive. Uh, He's developed quite a name for himself um, both here in Australia but particularly overseas, um, done a lot of work in Asia in um, the early 2000s, um, his recent 2019 Super Bowl ad, I think, got 
Uh, yes, the Jeep one, the big yeah. Jeep ad, yeah. Yeah, it got viewed something like 105 million views in the first couple of days. So <laughs> so he's quite well um, positioned within mm. that genre, that car commercial genre. So we thought we'd talk to him about how these commercials come about, uh, what makes a good car ad and how car ads have sort of um, evolved and changed and, um, and and his perspective on how to make a great car ad in 2021. Yeah, let's take a listen. Mark Toyer, welcome to Production Brief. Thanks for inviting me. I want to play one of your commercials from a few years ago to sort of start this conversation off um, because we're going to focus on cars and your work in that sort of genre. Um, And this one in particular felt like quite a um, a quintessential Australian car commercial. So I'm just going to play the audio of it. It might ring some bells. Want a simple rule to live by? Never stop. That's it. Never lose momentum. Just keep building on what you've achieved. Ignore the naysayers. Never back down. Instead, knuckle down and keep pushing. Because what seems impossible today can be turned into reality tomorrow. We believe fortune favours the bold. So eyes to the horizon and never look back. It's a choice we made over 30 years ago. And it's the reason why at HSV, we'll never be done pushing boundaries and building vehicles that let the world know exactly where you stand. Like Australia's most advanced sports 4x4, a vehicle with cutting-edge driving dynamics that make it the best sports 4x4 on ground, any ground. Because for those who push boundaries, there's only one way to play. New Colorado Sports Cat, engineered for drivers who like to play hard. That's pretty bloody manly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty Aussie. <laughs> I found an interview back from 2015 where you sort of said that you had sort of adopted this label or had been a label been placed on you that you're the car guy. And I wanted to sort of open that conversation up and sort of say, how does that feel five years later? How does that label feel? Do you feel like it's still something that's um, that you got to sort of get painted with? Uh, yeah, look, it's an asset and a liability, right? So I made a, a decision. It was probably longer than five years ago. It was probably about eight or nine years ago. I decided to stop doing car commercials. Now, uh, the reason for that was, uh, you know, car commercials, once you've done 100 of them, they're very boring, right? It's mm-hmm. the same old thing. And in a lot of advertising that you get sent to you to, you know, to shoot car ads, they're, they're very much the same. Uh, they're all over-researched and, you know, it's all show me the cigarette lighter, show me the seat belt, show me the new start and stop button, show me the air conditioning knob, uh, show me the five-cap safety thing. And mm-hmm. by the time you've got you've got seven seconds left <laughs> to do something <laughs> cool in, right? So what happens was, as it, from a creative standpoint, uh, you, you couldn't really get that creative. Um, it, it's very hard for agencies, ad agencies to be brave with car advertising because they have to tick so many mandatory boxes. Mm. Um, you know, there's a client demands, obviously, because research says that we should talk about the five cap rating. We should talk about the new seatbelt design. I don't know, whatever, whatever yeah. it is, right? So, you know, a lot of these car ads are, um, are bombarded with the same information. So where cl- clients trying to get a brand slash retail ad out of one commercial so they don't have to make two of them, um, which which is sort of 
quite the fail really because you know obviously a good brand ad that's all about the emotion of wanting that vehicle should be a standalone commercial and then there should be a retail component a, a version of that which is strictly retail mm-hmm. so then you know one can seduce the viewer the other one you've got time to sell to the viewer because retail ads always work harder than brand ads but but without the the good brand ad you don't no one's going to fall in love with it right so so what's happening because of budget constraints and media constraints and everything they try to combine the two together and you end up with very boring commercials mm. uh, sadly but <clears throat> that's that's the challenge of the ad agency you know creatively to try and sell uh, good ideas uh, to their you know to the car clients and um, the car clients really it's up to the the marketing manager of that company to be brave enough to um, take risks, you know, but that most of them won't because the research group, the research company is technically saving their bacon, right? So if the, if the ad fails, they don't get fired, but if they were brave and the ad fails, then they get, they, they might be under pressure. So it's a bit of catch 22 for all parties when it comes to making an ad. And I understand the difficulties for the ad agency and for the client, uh in trying to make a, a, a car commercial that that is effective mm. uh, so you know you got to respect that and you don't you don't get involved i don't get involved in that i i just try to pull off the idea that they've they've um, given to me so anyway that all said what happens is once you do hundreds of them they um they become quite boring <clears throat> same old same old just the cars changing really and the and the music might be different but the reality is that the, um I was getting too bored doing them, mm. and uh, and what was happening is because I was tagged the car guy, I didn't get you know the bank commercials, the insurance commercials, the the you know the lifestyle commercials, all that sort of stuff. So I avidly just turned off all car ads, and because I felt that what happens if you're a niche director and your niche gets old or you run out or people just get sick of using you. You don't have anything else to fall back on. So I thought, well, I might end up being a car guy for the next 30 years. Who knows? But I might be a car guy for another one year. Who knows, right? So mm-hmm. I thought it's time to take uh, get rid of this car tag. And so I ended up just doing a lot of other type of work, you know, lifestyle stuff, you know, storytelling stuff, you know, all types of different genres, which I'm glad I did because over that last 10 years, I completely rebuilt my reel uh and now and and especially with my overseas international work um as well you know because once you start doing the work for apples and the general motors of the world and the and the chrysler you know fiat chrysler americas and the and the microsofts and all that once you do these big company or big corporate work around the world especially with lifestyle stuff um you you've you are you 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 can if your genres or the or your body of work gets so much broader mm. that you become far more a commodity as a, as a director with far more range. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. So now I've started doing car ads again over the last, you know, four or five years. Um, but now I just do three or four of them a year. I don't, instead of doing a dozen or 10 or 15 of them, I just, I just try to do four or five uh, per year and just put them in there. So, so but I just make sure um, that I give everything some love. Because yeah. I've seen a lot of great directors, niche directors, and you don't even hear their names anymore. Do you know what I mean? They're just dropped off the planet. 
Yeah. And because I, I watched your your Super Bowl um, ad for Jeep from 2019 and, and that's probably a good example of an ad that is the opposite of that show the seatbelt, show the start, stop button. It's very emotive, very brand orientated. Is that the sort of car commercial that you're looking to create uh, now rather than feature specific? Well, look, Jeep, Jeep or Fiat Chrysler America are a very unique company. Mm. They are one of the very few companies in the world that don't do research creative, right? They feel they have enough experience in the world, and, and they do. Like there's the guys that work there and the, and the ladies that work there are highly experienced automotive marketing people, right? So they don't send their data to... Uh, research companies, what they do is they use their heart, their guts and their and their experience to decide if that ad is great. And they've, they are, like I said, very unique in a sense to where they will look at ideas that we pitch towards them or whatever, and they will go, we love that, make it. Mm. It's as simple as that, right? And, you know, because they are all about emotion. They, they realise that emotion, emotion sells cars. And but but you need to be accepted into their fold. Like I'm very fortunate to where I'm, uh, I'm a director, and technically I can do creative with them as well. So, um, you know, as well as their their agencies uh, call me a lot as well because they know that I can, uh, you know, do a lot more for them because where I'm tooled up to where you know I am the DP as well, the editor, the the post house, everything. So. When it comes to uh, time efficiencies, dollars, budgets, and everything, it's very hard to compete with me, uh, really. And that, and they've noticed that straight away compared to other companies they work with. So you know, we get we get to see a lot of their work, which which is great. But that takes years to to develop that relationship and a body of work, obviously, to prove. You know. Yeah, of course. Well, what do you think are essential elements of car car commercials in 2021? You know, what are, what are clients asking for? What do they want? Well, look, every every country I notice is drastically different. Like in Europe, it's it's very wallpaperish, very quite quite, quite bland actually. Because the reason why is because there's so many different regions and countries, and and. Um, dialogues, you know, and, and languages and everything. So they they can't make a comedy spot or a, or a particular style of ad there because their market is so broad and so big, uh, so uh, so diverse. You know what I mean? So that's why their ads are quite um, generic in a sense. Um, you know, they're a little, probably a little bit old fashioned. But what they're trying to do is instead of doing, you know, ten ads for ten, ten, ten different parts yeah. of. Uh, Europe, they're trying to just do one ad that will hopefully work for everyone. So that's why Europe's car commercials are a little bit plain Jane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, America, however, uh, when we do ads over there, they're very comedy-driven in a lot of areas, but there's a lot of companies there really love that emotive, anthemic, you know, that big epic-type feel. So so they that's the genre over there. In Australia here, it's all very colloquial. You know, it's all very Aussie. Buy this, and you know, I mean, that whole Aussie, Aussie Ocker thing. Mm. It's um, a, a little bit low brow for me, but but that I'm like I said, I'm not the market. Uh, so, you know, the the agencies have done all the research, the clients have done all their research. They they find out, they know who the target market is, and they feel that the guy that speaks like at the barbecue that 
that is their target market, right? And when I did a, um, a research test here myself, which I did with General Motors years ago, I realized I was only in that 2% market. So really, my thoughts were incorrect because I'm not really a big market. Mm. You, you may think you are, but you're not. Yeah. You think you might be the voice of the people, but you're not. So the reality is you do need to listen to research and you need, you need to take it on board. Even just New Zealand to Australian um, marketing is, is different too. You know, there's, there's different quirks for uh, all around the world. You know, I do a lot of stuff in Asia and the Middle East. Asia suffers the same problem as Europe. You know, they've got a, but, but Asia likes special effects and all that glossy overproduced type shit. You know what I mean? I mean, that, but that's the Asia way. They love, you know, lots of shiny colors and bright lights, you know, mm. uh, Middle, Middle East is a little bit more uh, refined, but again, quite European in their ways. So, yeah, when, when you travel the world, you get to understand all these different marketplaces and all their uh, creative styles, you know what I mean? And how do you, you were saying that you sort of discovered that you're, you know, obviously not the market, particularly in Australia. As a director mm-hmm. who, you know, has a body of work and represents uh, a style or a um, an approach, um, how, how do you sort of navigate what you like and how and or, or do you have a, a viewpoint on why agencies go to you from a visual point of view like do they do you feel like you have a sensibility or a a, a style that that just sort of syncs with what they're trying to do look i i don't believe i've got a style i used to but now i like to try and do things different each and every time but a majority of the times when agencies call me especially australian ones they will point at particular commercials I've done overseas or local or wherever, but they'll go, we really like what you did here. You know what I mean? And that, and they sort of prod me into that direction rather than me mm. showing them another direction. Or I might show them another direction, but they've already fallen in love with a particular style I did for something else. Mm. And that's one thing. When you have a big body of work like that, they can pick the eyes out of it because it's quite diverse, right? So they can go, we really like that one you did for natural gas. Asia, you know what I mean, or that one you did for General Motors in America, or, or, or that one you did for Apple, or whatever. They point at it and go, "We really like that style. Can you do that for us?" If it was up yeah. to you as a as a director DP, what what would sort of be your ultimate car commercial? Would it be like tech focused? Would it be emotion story focused? Would it be you know bag of tricks focused? What what would you love to make? What would you love to get the opportunity to do? Um. That you haven't already done, of course, because you've done so much. Yeah, look, I'm, I am, I'm not going to say I'm bored, but I'm, I'm not challenged anymore. Mm. So I don't really have a particular style I like or want to move towards. Um, I, but I do like to be as unique as possible. So if we can think of something that's really different or fresh or 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 current. I don't need to do special effects for the sake of doing the special effects, but I do special effects myself. Uh, like I said, that's just one of my blades in my little Swiss army knife thing. Right. Mm. So um, being special effects savvy is very helpful for a director. Uh, then you can have bigger, a bigger vision without having the knock on the door of an, of a post house and go, Hey, how do we do this? I already know how to do it. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I can keep the cost down uh, dramatically in doing so. Yeah, honestly, I just want to be challenged this day and age. No one's really 
getting really brave with their uh, creative anymore. Mm. Uh, it'd be great. I mean, there's a lot of creative directors and creatives that I know around Australia. They they want to be brave. They they pitch all these amazing scripts, but the clients are too scared to take them. I do personally like story, you know, epic visual type spots that are mm. just where people watch and go, holy shit, that's beautiful or amazing or, or, or wow or gorgeous, whatever. I mean, I do like those directions, but any cinematography style I'm not really stuck on. Mm. Do you think it would just take, you know, one, one or two big companies to sort of commit to something, doing something a little bit different and the rest would follow suit? <laughs> no. I just don't think the marketing world's brave anymore. Like I said, the research companies have sort of ripped the backbone out of a lot of um, decision makers, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're too scared to take these brave scripts. And the only way the, the, the industry is going to see better work is when we start getting braver marketing manage, managers within these companies, you know, guys that want to stand out, the guys that want to be noticed. But like I said, they've a lot of these corporate companies now uh, uh they are linked at the hip to these research companies that mm. charge a lot of money. You know, I've been to these things, right, where they put uh, like little diodes on people's heads and they monitor scan waves and eye, eye dilation and all that sort of crap. And, and they come back with all this data. And because it's sort of undisputable, it's the agency and the client need to take it on board. Mm. So it's hard for, the, for, the, for a marketing manager, manager to go, screw that. Let's throw that in the bin and go this way because I, you know, it's it's awesome. Because research companies don't know how to sell awesome, right? They they don't know how to pitch it. Do you get a sense that the that um, the car commercial the car companies are looking at each other and sort of oh that worked there, or are they just literally just following their own research? Because surely all the research. Um, would direct to a body of work that all looks the same and hence negates the point of advertising. <laughs> yep. <laughs> In a nutshell, yeah. Uh, sorry, I should have phrased that as a, a question. Um, but oh, okay. do you feel like, yeah, that there is a um, follow-the-leader mentality? No, no, no. A lot of companies want to be different from each other. They don't want to look like other other ads from other companies, seriously. But it's so hard not to when research drives you to make an ad yeah. the same as everyone else, right? You know, I've, I've got relationships with every car company in Australia uh, and every agency that does, you know, ads for all these car companies. And I know exactly the troubles that they all face. Let's go technical. Uh, so um, putting together a car shoot in 2021, it's a good car shoot. It's one that you, you're looking forward to. What are the usual suspects from a technical or from a, uh, a camera perspective, perspective that you are always sort of putting on the budget? Uh, like, well, for me, it's you know, we're doing a car ad. I'll always employ an arm car. You know, like a Russian arm or a mm-hmm. ultimate arm or a, you know, the, the new little baby ultra arms or the or the Scorpio arm. You know, there's a multitude of, of different arm cars out there. That that's a must because that helps you get a lot of uh, shots quickly. You know, overheads, swings around the fronts, backs, rears, everything, and you can just turn it all around in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. So that, but you know, with that too, you need to make sure that the person you hire, you know, you've got a good driver. Uh, you've got a good swinger on the crane. Mm. Um, I do all the operating myself, uh, but 
you know, you, you just need a really good team. And also you need a really, really good first AD that does a lot of car work and knows how to shut down roads and keep and keep flowing. So you've got there's a lot of communication going on within those armed cars. Uh, you know, where I'm talking to the driver, I'm talking to the first AD, I'm talking to the swinger, I'm uh, I'm talking to the driver and the, and the and the following vehicle, you know, our, our action vehicle. So uh, there's a lot of dialogue going on within that cabin, and there's a lot of stress on the outside. The first AD is probably running two radios, so he's he's listening to all of my dialogue within our team, uh, with internally, and then he's got to spread that information out to the police and to the you know, and to the safety vehicles. You can't just jump into that and hope mm. for the best, right? You've got to have a lot of experience going into arm car work. Because it can just turn into a, a dismal fucking mess and failure. And I, I know a lot of guys that have tried it and got into it. You know, a lot of the young guys, and it's so overwhelming. They think they're doing great, but the reality is they've probably got a quarter of what they would have got if they had the experience to do so, or if they put the right people in in those cars. You know. So that sort of leads well into to this idea about mapping out sequences and choreographing and storyboarding. You know, what's what's your process for sitting down? Obviously, there's things that you can pre-visualize. You can go on recce's. You can suss it out to a degree but until the camera is actually up the car's in the shot you you only really have a sense of what you want to achieve what's your process for pre-production on a car commercial yeah look i don't really do storyboards um because you know 10 i'm sorry 90 percent of the time you're going to find a better shot out there mm. so if we do storyboards because the client demands it we just roughly throw some rough boards together and go well that's these a storyboard. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the reality is you always come back with a far better angle and a far better ad and all that sort of shit. So I think storyboards for a lot of things are a bit of a waste of time. It, they're just really just to help a client walk through a process, you know mm, what I mean? Mm. But for me, I'll go out and I'm just hunting for that perfect three-quarter shot with the perfect background. And you can't go out there and do a recce and hope that you're going to get that you got to go out there. You just make sure you've got the locations and the streets locked down where you can. You know, and you go, well, that's a great street. Let's mm. lock it down. Getting permits to lock down streets, you know, to swing an arm car around and have a bunch of cars slow down the traffic. And, you know, we, we've done so many shoots where we've literally blocked the whole Sydney Harbour Bridge, right? Mm. And like that alone, the process, the pre-production and, and, the, and the, the, the conversations you have to have and the producers have to have of local councils and, and um, you know the highway people and the and the street people and the council on this on the north side of the bridge and the south side of the bridge and then you got to pass through different tunnels and all the tunnel people and the train people and the bus people, um, the taxis you got to even converse with them just to get your permit cleared. Mm. And then you got you know your massive insurances and you know to do a car ad through a city is a lot of work. Yeah. And you need, like my my producer, Kerry Grant, she's just done a ton of it with me. So she's very, very good and fastidious, especially from a legal perspective, because you don't want to go into these jobs and not be insured for every worst case scenario. So like if you, if we do, it might be as simple as someone just running up someone's ass, you know, a, a, a vehicle, a public vehicle that just get, gets in the way because they're not looking, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be insured for that. Mm. Because we're what we're doing is unorthodox, yeah. And and then again, what if the arm car spins around and takes a, that fucking head off a motorbike guy, rider, you know, often? Mm, mm. And, and because even though this guy has broken our barrier, he's come through. We didn't see him, and when and he's killed himself, and we've or you know we've killed him, or he's killed we've killed him, or he's killed himself. Is 
still an insurable problem. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so you, 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 your company that you've built has to be com completely protected, you as an individual as well. I mean, you could lose your house and everything over it. So that means you've got to think about all your business structures and everything behind your business to protect your, your livelihood from someone else's stupidity. Mm. You know, because you got to remember crew – you know, crew just turn up, do their job and leave, but they make mistakes. And we've had quite a few crew that have just fucked up. But the stupid is I pay for their fuck up, right? They don't pay for their fuck up. I end up paying for their fuck up. It's And it's fucking shit and it drives me nuts. Mm. But that's the realities of doing car ads. Car ads are not for the faint-hearted from a business point of view and they need to be done super professionally. Otherwise, you're going to get... Um, you're going to get screwed. And if something goes wrong too, then all that chaos can reflect on the client, the yeah. agency, everyone. So yeah. if there's got to be a lot of protecting going on of looking after your client, looking after the agency, looking after yourself. And it's not as easy of just getting a permit and going crazy. No, of course. And I know that you sort of said that 90% of the shots you kind of find out there, but I imagine when you're getting the permits and things, you still need to be pretty accurate to, to what you're wanting to shoot. And same with pre-production on all of your crew, you need to be pretty clear on exactly what you want to do so that when you get out there, everybody knows what's going on. So you can't, you can't just, you can't wing it essentially, can you? Well, you, you, you can and you can't. So what I do now through just sheer experience is I get permits for so much of that city like Sydney, for instance, and, and Brisbane and Melbourne, wherever we go, right? So I'll blanket permit every bridge, every major road, everything. And people go, well, you're nuts. And I go, no, I'm not, because I don't know how many times I've gone over a road and you think that's magnificent and you've turned up and there's late night road works going on at the mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. And now that road that you want to shoot on is completely fucked, right? So you go, okay, what's my backup plan? Now, if you don't have a backup plan, you cannot take a big team of cars onto another road because you're not permitted to do so. And you can break those rules. The cops may let you break the rules because the cops are a little bit flimsy sometimes, but the reality is you should not mm. because if you hurt someone or there's an injury or there's an incident, you're, you're screwed, right? So what I do is I blanket book a good part of the uh, Sydney and make sure that I've got backup plans everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a logistical load that you're sort of dealing with. I mean, also being, it's your company, uh, it's your shoot, um, but you're also the director. Um, I've always found it interesting when a director puts on a producer's hat, how they balance uh, where a director wants something and a producer says, well, that sounds like a risk, but somewhere in the middle there is a compromise that results in better work than if one just made the decision. How do you take off one hat as as the owner of the company and put on the other hat as director and still push yourself. Do you find that difficult? In, in my youth, yes. <laughs> mm. Now I just do it. It's hard, Look, it's hard to drift off and go and shoot another shot that wasn't approved by the client or the agency mm. unless you've got a bucket load of time left over. Yeah. You know, you're, you're shooting freely and it's, and it's, or it's right there in front of you. But for you to constructively go, screw it, I'm going to go over there and do this. Now, so long as it doesn't compromise the rest of the shoot or the rest of what you have to get, there is no problem because you are the owner of the company and all that. You can go, all right, I've got a spare half an hour here. I'm going to go and do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And most of the time, the ad agency creatives will go, great, this will be awesome. But the reality is how are you even going to fit that into the commercial sometimes? Because <laughs> most commercials are already full already. You know what I mean? Mm. 
most times it ends up being a complete waste of time. You know, that, that's just things you'd have to decide on the day. It's funny because as a producer, uh, you know, when those situations come up and somebody says, oh, let's go grab this shot, and I'm thinking we're going to go into overtime, there's no time for it in the edit, but then it just turns out magic. You go, oh, lucky I let them do it. But then sometimes, of course, you have to say no. You're literally you're out of time, you're out of lights, you know, you'll miss other things if you do it. It's It's a very tricky balance. The, tr- the tricky balance too is that sometimes you get a, uh, agency producers that are that overreact. The client <laughs> might say, "Geez, I really like that green grass over there." By the time it gets back to me, is we sh- we got to move the whole shoot over there where the green grass is. <laughs> but really, it was just him commenting on it. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's a lot of people that do overreact. That like that just they they cause a lot of extra cost, extra time, extra pain mm. that doesn't to be there and what would you say are the biggest pressures on a car shoot you know is it about time and light i mean predominantly outdoors obviously for tracking things and stuff is that is that what it is or is it just the the things that you can or can't do because of safety or what are the really big pressures that you face when you're when you're on set doing a car commercial well look if everything's planned beautifully like it normally is you know because like i said we've done it so many times the only thing that kills us is weather and in the last, you know, 12 months, it's been COVID. So um, those are the only two variables that can screw your day up. Uh, but mostly everything should go well. We probably overproduce our work a bit because the because um, we like to have backup plans because uh, we never don't, you know, we, we have multiple cameras on set. We have multiple everything, you know. We just have backup plans coming out of our, out of our ass, every all directions, you know what I mean? So and, and it costs us a bit more, but it's better to have those backup plans than not. Because mm. nothing more embarrassing if something does go wrong, you don't look like the fool, or you look like the savior. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, look, I think car commercials—they uh, look fantasyful. They are good budgets most times. Or you know, they're, they're, in Australia, they are shrinking dramatically. But but the reality is, they are—they um, can be quite exciting if you're doing stunt work and stuff like that. Uh, they are quite complex from a producer's point of view and a production point of view, uh, but the, the reality is they are still good business if you can do them well, and it's even better if it's a really creative script. And, yeah, no, it's quite exciting when you finish the job and you go, wow, great, I made my margins, client's happy, agency's happy, uh, job looks great, um, you know, you wipe your brow, whew, that went well, good, next, you know. But I remember when I come onto the onto the scene in the late 90s, I was this new whippersnapper kid coming on and I was outbidding everyone. Mm. And the reason why I was, I wasn't heavy in gear, you know, in gear and crew. I still did everything safely and everything, but, you know, all of a sudden all of these people hated me. I was enemy number one, right? And uh, and I and I grabbed the car business really quickly. And But, yeah, I had my haters. I mean, wow. I mean, we were just getting attacked by everyone. But the reality was I wasn't quoting. I was just asking the client how much did they have. And the mm. client told me, and we never went a cent over. And we still work like that to this day. Mm. Mm. You know, it's not like we've got a job here, you know, next month. And the, I said to the client or the agency, I said, how much you got? And they go, oh, no, quote it. And I said, no, okay, a million dollars. And they go, oh, no, we haven't got that much. And I said, well, <laughs> tell me what you've got. And then we'll just make sure we do a great job for that amount of money. And yeah. they told us. And then we go, okay, done. Yeah. So the, the, the invoice goes in and it's actually $10,000 cheaper than what, what they wanted, you know. Mm, mm. 
because we couldn't figure out how to make it any more exp more expensive. The thing is, if you work hand in hand with an agency and they trust you and you trust them, and there's no funny games and no politics going on, you can have a great relationship with an ad agency, and and you'll and you'll have work with them for many many years because you're not fucking each other over. You're actually trying to make each other make money in a business that's getting quite strangled. So you have to, you know, you really have to make sure that the agency um, support you and you support them because, you know, they go out there and they fly your flag, right? They go there. We really want Mark Toy to do this. So they're out there working for you. Mm. So, you know, I get a bit jilted when I hear a lot of directors backstabbing the creatives and all that. And I go, fuck guys, you know, without them, you'd be, you wouldn't have a job. So you got to, you know, you got to respect, respect the whole agency system. They are just like you, right? They are, they might be the middlemen, but the reality is they are your client and uh, and you've got to nurture that client and respect that or otherwise you're just going to be, if you don't, you'll, you won't, you'll have a very short career. Let's talk briefly about the future. What interests you about the future of this genre? Um, where do you think it'll go? Are you, you sort of, are you going to stay involved in or are you going to say, okay, I'm closing that door and going in a different direction? I don't know where cars are going to end up, to be honest. The budgets are, are, are getting worse. There's a lot of companies, a lot of the car companies now are getting um, like cost controllers involved, uh, all that sort of shit. So they're really bashing those margins down even further. Mm. And the reality is there's so much work that goes into a car ad that a lot of these cost controllers can't quantify and they don't realise so what they're doing, them the, the profit margin on a car ad is quite poor this day and age, right? You might pick up a 10, 15% margin with cost controllers involved at best. And mm. really, if you're going you're gonna to put so much work in and just say the job's only, like a car job might only be like $500,000, right? 10% of $500,000 is 50 grand in profit mm. on a job that you've spent three months on with a big team of people, right? So really, is the, is the car work even really worth it now? Like we, we can make bigger profit margins because we own all our camera equipment. We do all the post in-house. We do a lot of stuff. So we can keep our margins higher. But for a, for a company, a production company that might be a director-producer team, they've got to hire a post-house. They've got to hire everything, right? Everything's hired in. All the freelancers are hired in everything. They, their margins are not, not as good as they hope. And then they start cutting corners in certain areas, and that's when things start getting a bit risky. Uh, so it's really the car business isn't what it used to be uh, from a profit perspective, right? A lot of people go, I want to do car ads, I want to do car ads. But when they get in there, it's not what they thought. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's actually t 10 times more work for for half as less, you know what I mean? You can cut all the deals you want in the world, but you, you, you still have to make profits to survive. And pay staff and all that sort of stuff, right? And your insurances and and everything. So the car world is not be all end all. It's just one other product range. Like for me personally, I like doing tourism commercials. Um, yeah, because I just I just love shooting beautiful pictures, right? <laughs> um, and I get to do tourism ads all over the world, which before COVID, I like doing, you know, big insurance ads or big, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of other business. Uh, genres out there or styles, you know, companies and brands that are far more lucrative than car commercial. It, they're very complex, very hard just to try and get, a, like you said, an unregistered vehicle onto a road. 
you know, because a lot of these cars, they might go, we've only got one car and we want it to look four different colours. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and we've got, um, and it's got the wrong wheels on. We've got to put the different wheels on. And the wheels are flying in four weeks from now and they never turn up, right? Mm. And then, or another one company goes, <clears throat> well, the car's turning up, but it never turns up. So then you end up having to try to build a 3D car, but the company won't give you the CAD data, right? So then you've got to try and photo scan a car and then make the car from scratch and blah, 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 blah. You know, it just things that are very complex um, businesses doing car commercials. Mm. So is that what you want to do next? You just want to really focus on things that aren't car ads, just move move right away from that world now? No, I love doing car ads, but like I said, I don't want to do them day in, day out. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and I sort of choose my car ads now. Like we, we still get sent, you know, maybe 40, 50 car ads a year, or maybe 100 sometimes, right? But I only do four or five. So I just pick the ones where I know the client, I'm comfortable with them, they know me, they know that I know their, the world that they live in, you know, and the, the, the stresses they're under. So we're all, we've got a good relationship. So they, I work with companies we've got good relationships with. Mm. Like, you know, the, the Fiat Chrysler guys in America, we work with a lot. The Isuzu people here. Uh, we used to do a lot of work for Mazda here, but I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, a lot of companies throughout Australia we still work with and around the world. Like it, we're, we're even doing international ads here still uh, because they have the current cars here. There might be different hand steering wheels, but they don't really care. They'll just use some stock footage that they have. But we're still there's still international car ads can be done here in Australia, even though we don't have that actual car. Well, great insight into, uh, into not only car commercials, but into your production process in general. So, Mark Toyo, thank you so much for coming on Production Brief. Yep, no worries. And that's it for another episode of Production Brief. Thank you, of course, for joining us. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you recommended it to some people. You can subscribe via your normal podcast platforms or visit our website, productionbrief.com.